Let's pray. Oh God, that's the God you are. The Galilean is the great healer. Doesn't matter what we lose. My grace is sufficient for you. I can put you back together again in a way you've never been before. Thank you for what you did for Raphael. Thank you, Father, for, for what you're going to do for us. We need the healing. Teach us through Jesus the Galilean, we pray in his name. Amen. I find it almost stunning, I say almost, how vulnerable Jesus was, not only with his close friends, but with, with total strangers. I mean, just open. In fact, I went through and made a list, all the vulnerability instances. And I'm sure this is one of the most poignant, perhaps the most painful for him. I, I can't tell you that. That moment following hard on the heels of when Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women plus children. You remember the story of five loaves of bread and two fishes and he breaks and up to 15,000 people get fed. It's what happens next that leads us to that moment of vulnerability. And so I want you to pull your Bible out, please, without any further ado, and open it to the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel, chapter 6. The familiar story, the feeding of the 5,000, 15,000, we all know. It's what happens next. So we're going we're gonna to skip the story. Drop, uh, this is John chapter 6. We're going to drop down to uh, verse 12. This is our new little mini-series called The Galilean. Tracking the Galilean. The beginning of this new year. Part 2 today. No, no fill-in-the-blank uh, study guide today. You have a very important uh, insert, however, in your worship bulletin. And they put the uh, website up there for those of you watching, pmchurch.tv, and you can get that same handout. So let's pick up the story right here, verse 12. I'm in the NIV. Whatever, whatever translation you have is, is fine by me. This is verse 12, John 6. When they had all had enough to eat, all right, Jesus said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now, verse 14, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, wow, did you just see what happened this late afternoon? After they saw it, they began to say, probably to themselves, they say, surely this is the prophet, capital P. This is the one Moses uh, predicted would come in, in Deuteronomy. This is the big deliverer prophet. Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, verse 15, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, I want you to think about this. This is the politician's biggest dream to get voted into office by acclamation. Everybody, unanimous, we want you. This is perfect. He can have it all tonight without any suffering, no cross, no death. I get it now. And don't worry, there is somebody in the shadows of that gathering twilight beside the Sea of Galilee. There is somebody whispering to him, you know what? <laughs> the ambition of your disciples, the frenzy of the crowd, this is it. Satan is not going to miss this moment, and he rewarms and repackages his third temptation in the wilderness. I'll give it all to you. You bow down and worship me. You have it all. Because truth of the matter is, when you worship self, you de facto worship the devil. De facto. It's the warmed-up offer all over again. Matthew and Mark add a little detail that John omits. 
and that is that Jesus dismisses the disciples first and then the entire crowd. And Desire of Ages says he speaks to the disciples with a, with a tone of authority he has never before used with them. You get in that boat now. And then he turns to the crowd coming at him. And with a regal authority they have never seen, you're out of here, good night. Both Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus then goes up into the, into the hills to pray. Jesus knows that if this, if, this, if this movement is carried out, it will be the death knell of God's mission to save the human race. There's only one way to save this race, and it's called Calvary. And so he prays all night. What do you think he was praying? Heartbroken. My father, nobody understands our mission. Oh, father, the closest human beings to me, they don't get it. All night he prays for the masses, for his inner twelve. His decision is made through the night hours. I'm going to have to ramp up the radical truth of my mission. Hence, the moment of vulnerability. It's about here. All night, he walks across the water. Daytime, they're in Capernaum. They're in a synagogue. And I want you, we want to pick it up in the middle of Jesus' teaching in the Capernaum synagogue. Verse 51. Red letters, if you have a red letter Bible. Jesus speaking, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And the Jews, verse 52, began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Yuck! Jesus goes on, verse 53, very truly, amen, amen, in the Greek, two double amen, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and he takes it even further into that yuck level. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. Here it goes. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. To eat His flesh, to drink His blood, are you serious? As they say, seri more, as serious as a heart attack. I'm that serious. And with those words, watch this, the Galilean's army, just like Gideon's army, suddenly is reduced to a handful with those words. Verse 60. On hearing it, these words of Jesus, many of his disciples said, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? Now, notice, ladies and gentlemen, it does not read many of the multitude said or, or many of the crowd. Rather, it reads many of his disciples. In other words, many of his followers, his most loyal supporters, change their minds and reverse their allegiance and walk away from the Galilean. How do you suppose Jesus felt? Verse 66, from this time... Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. May I be vulnerable with you for a moment as, as, as a communicator? I can tell you that when the crowds begin to thin, you feel it. You feel it majorly. It feels like personal rejection. Can't help it. 
from my few years on this planet, I've come to realize that personal rejection, the sense of being rejected by someone or many someones, is one of the deepest and most painful of human emotions. Divorce courts are filled with hearts broken over rejection. Job wanted files are jammed with lives broken over rejection. The worst letter in a grade book is the letter F, and rejection always feels like failure. Come on. I mean, she doesn't love me. They don't want me. I guess I'm not good enough. You have heard that tape. You have heard that tape in your own pretty little mind. Within less than 24 hours, get this, the Galileans' popularity that has shot to the roof in 24 hours plummets, crashes to the ground. All within a single day. Rejection. Failure. You know, Jesus could have simply sucked it up and said, hey, God, there's not a problem. It's okay. We'll be fine. He doesn't. This is the moment of vulnerability. And Jesus turns to his disciples. Look at this. Verse 66. Let's read it again. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Now catch verse 67 and hear the catch in his voice. Jesus turns now to the closest human beings on this planet to him. He turns to the 12 and he asks, you do not want to leave too. Do you? Do you? He's not sure. Do you? William Shakespeare, in his Julius Caesar, puts it on Caesar's lips, et tu, Brute, and you, Brutus, you're a part of this, you too. In a, in a moment of painful vulnerability, the Galilean, his heart bleeding, had to have been bleeding with a herd of rejection, summons up the courage to admit to his followers that it's melting down. Are you going to leave too? Will you leave me too? Oswald Chambers, in that classic of his, My Utmost for His Highest, put it on the screen for you. These are all these quotations in your study guide. Take it home. Jesus Christ's life was an absolute failure from every standpoint but God's. Wow. Desire of Ages concurs. Put that on the screen, please. As the world's Redeemer, Christ was constantly confronted with failure. You're not the only one failing. Some of you today feel as low as a snake's belly. You're not the only one failing. There's somebody in the universe who has, who has drunk from that cup to its bitter dregs and knows what you feel today. Isaiah, the ancient prophet, once captures the Messiah. Most people skip over this. They're so excited about verse 6. But in Isaiah 49, God speaks to the ancient, ancient prophet. He says, let me tell you how it will be for the Messiah. The servant of Israel, when he comes, put the words on the screen for you. He said to me, God said to me, he's speaking now to the one who will be the Messiah, the servant of Israel. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I, now this is the Messiah speaking back. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. I have failed. Do you understand? 
I have failed. I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for what? Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hands, and my reward is with my God. I have labored in vain. As the masses now, even now, some of his closer disciples leave him. Jesus turns to the closest companions on earth, and he asks, Et tu? And you? You too are leaving? It's an admission of vulnerability. It's an acknowledgement of rejection. It is an admittance of a mission that now appears to be failing. The truth is, we have all been there. You can't fool me and I can't fool you. We have all been there. The sadder truth is, not all of us have admitted that we were there, that we are there. Not vulnerable enough, are we? Got to play this success card to the last hand. Anna Mott, in her whimsical but provocative book, Traveling Mercies, Some Thoughts on Faith, describes a time when in front of a large crowd one evening in a city, she failed miserably. She went back to the hotel that night absolutely throttled and sick. And I can tell you, been there and done that. She describes getting back to the hotel room. Put the words on the screen for you. My fear of failure has been lifelong and deep. If you are what you do, and I think my parents, she writes, may have accidentally given me this idea. If you are what you do and you do poorly, what then? It's over. You're wiped out. All those prophecies you heard in the dark have come true. And people can see the real you. See what a schmendrick you are. What a fraud. Some of you know that feeling too. It's down here in the gut that's twisted. But there in the, alone in that hotel room, she begins, thank God, she begins to brood on grace for some reason. And the words of a friend of hers come back, and the words are that he, the, the friend told her, he told her that grace is having a commitment to or at least an acceptance of being ineffective and foolish. She writes, it was amazing. I do not at all understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. Not bad. The next morning, her words on the screen for you. The review in the newspaper the next day was not very good. <laughs> but by then, I'd figured out that the gift of grace... No, I'm sorry, that the gift of failure... I had figured out through that night that the gift of failure, which is that it breaks through all that held breath and isometric tension. Now, I know you never watch male bodybuilders on cable TV, so you don't know what I'm going to do, but what she's describing here is these guys that work out, these guys that work out, they just, and then the cameras are all there. What did they do? They suck it in. They hold it. Pretty impressive, huh? You know I could do that. That's called isometric tension, the, the held breath. There's some people who go through life like that. That's what she's talking about. 
She says the gift of failure breaks through all that held breath and isometric tension about needing to look good. And I love this. It is the gift of feeling floppier. The gift of failure is feeling floppier. One of the things I, I, I have been most afraid of had finally happened last night with a whole lot of people watching, and it had indeed been a nightmare, but sitting with all that vulnerability, I discovered I could write it. The gift of failure is the gift of feeling floppier. I mean, who cares? What do you think I am? Superwoman? Superman? You don't think I ever fail? Oh, I fail way more than you ever know. Besides... God loves me. And I'll bet you you love me too. And even if you don't, Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so. You can survive failure. You don't have to get up because you have failed. Get back up again. Get back up again. There's somebody who has walked that path before you, girl, and he has failed he knows the heart of vulnerability and rejection. He understands you, boy. Get back up again. He's with you. Vulnerability. Vulnerability means that I can acknowledge my weakness and admit my falling short and yet believe it's going to be okay. Listen, Jesus, look, Jesus has gone through our highs. He's gone through our lows. He knows. He understands. Jesus, who turns to his closest followers and said, Hey, you too? Are you leaving me? He knows. Think about it. Could you find a friend more sympathetic, more understanding? Could you find a friend gentler and kinder to you because he knows exactly what you're feeling. And he says, I felt that. I know how you feel. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Be vulnerable with me. Come. Wow. So here's the question that begs to be asked. And that is, given the Galilean's vulnerability, if you and I embraced it, if we said, Jesus, I want to be vulnerable like you, professionally, personally, privately, I want to be vulnerable like you, if we embraced it, what difference would it make around here? I envision three changes. I'll close with these. I envision three changes around here. If on this campus and in this congregation we embraced vulnerability, change number one, you and I would be a lot more vulnerable with God. With God. I mean, after all, he's the most vulnerable being in the universe. You say, oh, Dwight, he is not. Oh, come on. Talking about risk and failure and rejection. He is, willing to, he is willing to endure the rejection of the masses for the sake of saving just a handful, you and me. Desire of Ages, this is dynamite. You have this too. You'll take home. Put it on the screen, please. Never can the cost of our redemption be realized until the redeemed shall stand with the Redeemer before the throne of God. Then as the glories of the eternal home burst upon our enraptured senses, we shall remember, now hold on, we shall remember that Jesus left all of this for us, that he not only became an exile from the heavenly courts, but here it comes now, but for us took the risk of, what's that next word? Failure. Took the risk of failure and eternal loss. That was not cut and dried. All right, see you later. We'll see you when you get back. This thing was set up so that he could bail, he could bomb and burn, and it would be over. Risk of failure. 
of eternal loss. Jesus is proof enough, guys, that you cannot out-vulnerable God. So why? Come on, tell me this. Why do we keep putting our best foot in front of him whenever we come into his presence? Do we really believe that we can snooker him? Philip Yancey asked that question. I love this. Put it on the screen, please. This is from his book, Prayer. Does it make any difference? Okay, Yancey writing now, unless I level with God about bitterness over an unanswered prayer, some of you have that, grief over loss, some of you are experiencing that, guilt over an unforgiving spirit, you know that one, a baffling sense of God's absence, unless I level with God, that relationship, my relationship with God will go nowhere. Keep reading. I may continue going to church, I may sing hymns and praise choruses, I may even address God politely in formal prayers, but I will never break through the intimacy barrier. C.S. Lewis writing, we must lay before God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. We think when we come to God, oh, I, know, I know the kind of girl you want, I know the kind of boy you want, I am that. And God says, who are you kidding? Yancey puts it even better. Look at that last line of the quote. To put it another way, we must trust God with what God already knows. Isn't that dynamite? He already knows. What, who, who are you fooling? Do you not think he knows everything about you? Oh, God, I'm really having a great day. Lie, lie, lie. Oh, God, thank you for helping me live, live on the straight and narrow. Lie, lie, lie. Don't you think he knows? Do you think you... you describe, hey, God, look over here. You can't fool him. That's Yancey's point. I'm going to read that again. We must trust God with what God already knows. You know what? It'll be easier to be vulnerable before others when we're willing to be vulnerable before God. It starts with God. Open up with God. Be transparent with God. Don't play this game. All right? I think there'd be three changes around here. Change number one, you and I would be a lot more vulnerable with God. Change number two, you and I would be a lot more vulnerable with faith. How's that work? Well, look, I better not, I better not say anything in public about asking for something really big because there's a good chance God may not come through, and then I'd look kind of foolish now, wouldn't I? So anybody have prayer requests? No, no, not really. That's too big. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Oh, look, look, I don't want to give this big testimony in front of people about what God has done because maybe he'll quit doing it. Then I'd really, oh, forget it. Where's your faith? What if instead you and I became even more bold in our expressing our faith petitions and declared to God, you know what, I'm not leaving this circle. I'm not leaving this circle until you answer that prayer. For my marriage, for my children, for my roommate, for my career, for my grades, I'm not leaving this prayer. I know I have to work, but you've got to do something too. That's a bold faith that says, I'm vulnerable with you. I can't solve this problem, but I'm in this circle, and you can. And I'm not leaving the circle until you answer that prayer. Be vulnerable with your faith. Ask him for something big. As Pastor Rodley prayed just a few moments ago, oh God, enlarge my territory for you. Ask him for something big. Go on the line. A lot of people don't want to put their, you know, that's why I just love this, uh, I just love this white circle on the, on the wall here. Those are signed by first-year students a few second years we're in, uh, that preschool vespers. Those are all freshmen up there. Sign on the dotted line, God, I'll be a moral leader for you this year. You're doing a new thing here? Count, that, count me as a part of that new thing. That's going to hang up all this year. Just a reminder, there's some people who, want, who are willing to put their names on the line. 
The rest of us kind of went, well, I don't know if this new thing is really that new thing. I don't want to become fanatical. What will the people say? Get over it. Be vulnerable with your faith. Step out and say, I believe. I believe. You watch. God will honor that. In a few days, I'm flying to Japan for 10 days of evangelism in Tokyo, the city of my birth. I lived there 14 years. Speak the language very rustily. I wrote a blog on it. It's today's blog, and uh, don't, don't read it now. Tweeted it last night late, and a friend of mine who has thousands of followers went and retweeted it, so it's, it's out there. You know what it is? It's an invitation to pray. And that's the only reason I'm mentioning it here is because I need you to pray. Well, do I have, well, what's, what's God going to do over there in Tokyo? I don't know, but all summer long, while we've been praying for this campus, I've been praying for two. I've been praying for this campus and that country, this campus and that country. God, do a new thing. Japan is in a state of a major crisis right now, nationally and ecclesiastically. And I'm asking God, take this humble little Tokyo 13 event and somehow use it. I need you praying. That's my point for bringing it up. I need you praying. Just say, hey, Dwight, I'll pray for you. Hey, I'll pray for you. I'll be vulnerable. There's no way I can make a hill of beans difference in Japan, though I've lived there. The nation has been impervious to Christianity for millennia, for centuries, for centuries. Two millennia. We cannot know what God is going to answer in response to our prayers and his promises. But as Jesus said in Luke 11, shameless audacity, with shameless audacity and faith vulnerability, we must be relentless in our intercessions. Don't quit praying, please. Don't, well, you know, we did the preseason, so we stopped praying. Are you kidding? That's the preseason. Now it's the season. Three changes. If we embrace the Galileans' uh, vulnerability, change number one, we'd, you and I would be more vulnerable with God. Change number two, we'd be more vulnerable with faith. And finally, change number three, we'd be more vulnerable with each other because perfect and in control is a myth. You are neither perfect and you are not in control. Let that air out. Let's sit there holding this pose. Be who you are. Be in need. And somebody who can help can respond. When we open up and admit our inadequacies and our inabilities, we draw others to us. I mean, it just happens that way. Brene Brown, I shared this, this uh, psychologist who's also a social worker. I shared this last week, put the line back up on the screen. We love seeing raw truth and openness in other people, but we're afraid to let them see it in us. You know, you say, yeah, but come, come on, Dwight. I, I am repelled by the notion that I need to blab to everybody my weaknesses, none of your business. You're right. Listen to Brene Brown again. New words for you. They're in your study guide. Vulnerability is based on mutuality and requires boundaries and trust. It's not oversharing. It's not purging. It's not indiscriminate disclosure. It's not celebrity-style social media information dumps. Some of you don't have a secret left. Your thousand friends all know it. Keep a few secrets for those you trust. Please. That's what she's talking about. Keep reading. Vulnerability is about sharing our feelings and our experiences, and I love this, with people who have earned the right to hear them. Just because they like you doesn't mean they've earned the right to hear it. Somebody has earned the right. Your mommy and daddy have earned the right. Your siblings have earned the right. Some of your closest friends have earned the right. You've got to be open with them. Don't hold it back. 
Being vulnerable, I like this. Being vulnerable and open is mutual and an integral part of the trust-building process. End quote. In other words, vulnerability actually strengthens the way we interact on this campus and we interact in this congregation. You probably heard we have a brand new season of grow groups just about to start about eight days from now. I need to tell you right off the bat, because some people are always worried about this. Are these going to be sensitivity groups where we all kind of let it all hang out? No. These are mutual interest groups. This is, this is in the context of our personal interest. There are other people who share the very same interest, and in that context, we're pursuing becoming disciples of Jesus. Every group, no matter what, you want to choose, a, what's this one on Frisbee? It's called, what starts with an I before the Frisbee? Um, what's, the, the, you know, what's it called, this Frisbee one? What? Huh? <laughs> starts with an I. Ultimate. Starts with a U. I meant you. <laughs> Ultimate. Thank you. Ultimate Frisbee. Even if you sign up for Ultimate Frisbee, every group is going to have the same DNA. We're going to have prayer time. We're going to have time in the Bible. We're going to do a service project together. We're going to have a party. In 10 weeks, we're going to do all of that, and then we all say goodbye, and that's it. I'm telling you, these groups are cut out for a busy student and a very active community member, faculty or otherwise. My grow group last year, by the way, we, what's amazing to me is you get in this group and you're total strangers. And I'm leading the group and I'm thinking, man, what, who are these people? I've never met them before in my life. But you know what? In 10 weeks, in 10 weeks, something happens. We're not spilling our guts, but there's a closeness developing. And so, so that our group this summer, we're sending emails back and forth to each other and me saying, hey, pray for this and do this. And it just happens. You're going to love getting together. So please... A sign-up for, for a grow group. It, it, your life will be significantly impacted on the journey to being trusting and opening up and being vulnerable. Vulnerability with God, vulnerability with faith, vulnerability with each other. If we gave each other permission on this campus and in this congregation to be vulnerable, what a refreshing outpouring of the Spirit of Jesus would fall upon this place. Because guess what? That's Pentecost. Pentecost happened with the walls all down. The guys all became vulnerable to each other. They said, I'm not hiding anything. 120 people in an upper room. The walls are down. And God says, now, nobody is isometric tension. Now, let's go. Boom. Vulnerability is Jesus' strategy to open up your mind and heart to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's how it happens. If you have that wall up, it won't happen. Pretty wall won't happen. Jesus, the vulnerable one, the Galilean, who hung on the cross, by the way, naked. Did you know that? Naked. They stripped him. It's the final act of public shaming that the executioners can, can inflict upon you. You're naked, nailed up. Now look, people, this is what you get. When you re revolt against Rome, look at that, naked. And you think about it, what could be more vulnerable than naked? Only in your dreams. When Brene Brown asked her clients and research uh, uh, subjects to describe what vulnerability feels like, she comes up with a page and a half. Let me just share just a few of these with you. They, they, they describe vulnerability this way. It's taking off the mask and hoping the real me isn't too disappointing. Here's another one. Scary and exciting, terrifying and hopeful. Here's another one. Taking off a straitjacket. Here's another one. Um, being all in. Here's another one. That moment when the roller coaster is about, you know that moment, when it's just about to go over the edge. That's vulnerability. 
It feels like fear, one wrote, every single time. But here's what amazed her. In these responses, one word kept coming up again and again and again. And you guessed it. The word is naked. In fact, one person put it this way. Vulnerability is like being naked on stage and hoping for applause rather than laughter. Can you picture that? Yeah. That's what vulnerability is. Hoping for applause rather than laughter. All he got was deriding, mocking laughter, hanging naked. He's naked, and they're laughing at him. They're making sport. They're shaming him, and he's hanging there. Do you know why he's hanging there? Because he apparently loves you and me so deeply, he'll go through that shame to win our hearts. Wow. You cannot get loved any more than that. Anymore. Vulnerable little you, vulnerable little me. How's that line go in the Bible? Be ye therefore vulnerable as your Savior in heaven is vulnerable. Jesus looked at the disciples. He said, are you, are, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, Lord... To whom else will we turn if we do not go with you? Let's pray. Oh, God, to whom else shall we turn? To whom shall we go if we shall not go with the Galilean? And so, Holy Father... There's no magic formula. It's just following the Galilean. The longer we follow, the more open and vulnerable we become. Give us the gift of Jesus. Jesus' vulnerability, I humbly pray in his name. Amen.